Welcome to the podcast that is all about self-employment. We'll be sharing expertise on getting started, getting noticed, and getting it right, as well as dealing with getting it wrong. Your host, Julia Kermode, will help you get ahead so you get the success you deserve. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm really pleased to have with me Jane Hatton, who's from a, an organisation called Even Break. And Jane, you've been in the diversity and inclusion field since 1990. Um, I don't, I guess that's that's back in kind of the early days um, when when it was still kind of quite a new thing. And I know you set up Even Break in 2011. Can you tell us a bit more about your background and your organisation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yes, so I've been interested in fairness um, mm. pretty much all my life, I think, even as a child, you know, that kind of it's not fair, you know, I wanted everybody to have a fair crack of the whip. Yeah. And um, and I was in residential care for a while, uh, working as a social worker with children and families right. and saw there how unequal life can be for, for lots of people, you know, children who were, um, you know, not able to be with their families for whatever reason. Um, children who were from different ethnic minority groups, disabled children, um, and that, you know, different people's life experiences were predicated on things that had nothing to do with them as a person. Um, And so I was kind of interested, and a lot of the training around social work was around, in those days, race particularly. And um, and it was something that I just felt very strongly about. And um, initially, I think it was was that the race sort of debate that um, really grabbed me. It was it was around um, the time of um, the McPherson report and, right. uh, you know, the first sort of um, inter, uh, incidents of or even mention of um, institutional racism within the police force. Mm. And, um, you know, in the, after the murder of uh, Stephen Lawrence. And yeah, um, and it was, um, you know, it was it was a big thing. It was huge. Um, I'm a white person, clearly, don't have lived experience of racism or being a victim of racism, at least. And um, so I worked with a a black co-worker and um, we did a lot of training together and lots of consultancy. And then I moved into a bit around um, gender and then the the law began to catch up. And then we we had laws around um, sexual orientation and age and and other things started to creep in. And then the Disability Discrimination Act in uh, 95. And so it's something that I've always been interested in, but I wasn't disabled myself. And when I talked to employers about disability, particularly, Mm. they would either say, um, why would I employ a disabled person? Or a bit more positively, they might say, you know, we recognise that this is a a range of, of talent that we really should be tapping into but we don't know how to. And when I talked to disabled people, they said, well, actually, we don't know which is which because every organisation says we are an equal opportunities employer, but actually we know that yeah. most aren't, you know, when it comes to disability. And I can remember thinking, oh, somebody ought to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And then in 2004, I became one of the 83% of disabled people who become disabled as adults. So I had a okay. final condition. Um numerous spinal surgeries, neck surgery, whatever, uh, none of which really worked, um, and joined the, um, the the disability community, if there is such a thing. Um, and so this became much more up close and personal now. You know, this was something that was affecting me that I now had lived experience of. 
And so through that and all the work that I'd done previously around diversity and inclusion generally, um, it came up with a colleague with the idea of having a job board that was just for disabled people and just for those employers who were enlightened enough to see us as a pool of talent rather than a problem. And, um, and so Evenbreak was born in, in 2011. And we decided then that it would be um, a social enterprise. We didn't want it to be yeah. a charity because disabled people certainly aren't charity cases. Um, but yes. I didn't want to run a business to make shareholders richer. I wanted it to be making the world a better place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we're a social enterprise. And also, importantly, led by, by lived experience. So everybody who works for Evenbreak is a disabled person themselves. So that might be mental health or neurodiversity or physical or sensory impairment and um yeah and then it was now brilliant and and I really love that it's almost like having a business with a purpose um and and I think I think that's that's becoming ever more important to people these days when they're when they're looking at who they want to work for um and and I, I just think that the whole ethos of what you're doing is is so so interesting and actually when you were just talking then one of the things that struck me was everyone Lots of organisations have, we are an equal opportunities employer <laughs> on their job adverts. But it strikes me and I nearly said, well, that's meaningless. Um, it, I, I don't know, perhaps, perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. What are your thoughts on, on that specifically? No, it, it is meaningless to, as far as candidates yeah. are concerned. Um, we did some research a couple of years ago. We were talked to a university, did some research on our behalf. And they asked disabled people, you know, what are the biggest barriers that you face when mm. you're looking for work? And interestingly, by far the biggest barrier um, that, you know, and it was over 770 respondents. So it's a significant number of people. Um, Over 80% said not knowing which employers will take us seriously. Because everybody says we're an equal opportunities employer, but actually very few are. Some some might be doing something around race, but not enough. Some might be doing something around gender, but Mm -hmm. not enough. Very few are doing anything around disability. Um, it seems to be the poor relation when you look at the diversity strands or protected characteristics, disability seems to be the one at the bottom of the agenda. And so um, it's really important for our candidates that, you know, employers make a bit of an effort. So it's not just saying we are an equal opportunities employer, which costs nothing and (laughs) and means nothing, but actually demonstrates that they are serious about disabled, you know, talented disabled people. And, and so for us, having even break, you know, if an organisation pays to advertise their vacancies on a job board that's just for disabled mm. people, that's a pretty powerful commitment that they're saying, you know, we're not just saying that we are an equal opportunities employer, we are proactively targeting that particular demographic of people because we recognise that they bring so much to our organisation. Yeah. So it was the first time really for disabled people that they could have concrete evidence about which employers were taking this seriously and which ones maybe not so much. Yeah, and that's that's um, so true because there's lots of different kind of job boards out there. And I guess if, if you're looking for an employer that will kind of welcome you genuinely and make you genuinely part of the, the team, then uh, it must be a nightmare trying to navigate that. So I think what you're doing is really, really helpful from from that kind of um, perspective. Um, and and the other thing, um, before I get into the sort of questions that I had in mind, I wanted to just mention is, of course, there's vis- visible dis- disabilities as well as invisible ones. And I don't know if they if if those are 
treated any differently by employers because you mentioned in in your opening about you know working with neurodiverse people within within your team and and you know I I don't know are there differences in how employers perceive different types of disability I think there are I think there's still very much kind of oh if you're not in a wheelchair you're not disabled yeah um, whereas actually, you know, less than 8% of disabled people use wheelchairs. Wow, less than 8%. And, um, you know, often employers will say, oh, we can't employ disabled people because we don't have any ramps. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and my answer is, well, A, they could work from home. Yeah. Um, but B, what about the other, you know, 95% of disabled people, you know, that they <laughs> yeah. don't need ramps? Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, you know, I think there, there is a difference. And also, I think, for people with invisible conditions, which is the majority of disabled people, mm. uh, you know, someone with chronic pain, someone with, who's neurodiverse, someone with hearing loss, someone with diabetes, or, you know, don't look any different from any, you know, there's no visible indication of their impairment. Um, but actually then that gives them the dilemma of how open am I going to be with, with the employer? You know, if you're blind and visibly blind or you're using a wheelchair, you don't have that decision to make because mm. it's going to become obvious at some point. But if you're um, autistic or diabetic or, or whatever it might be, have a mental health condition, you've got to make that decision about, am I going to tell the employer about this at this point in the recruitment process? Um, if I don't, then it's going to be difficult for me to ask for any adjustments I might need. So I can't compete on a level playing field. But if I do, are they then going to discriminate against me because they don't understand you know what it's all about so um yeah it can be incredibly difficult I think for candidates you know visibly or or invisibly disabled there's there's always that dilemma about how much do I share with an employer because what impact is that going to have on my chances going forward yeah and that is a a real catch-22 isn't it because on the one hand people I guess want to be open and and be taken um seriously um but on the other hand they don't want to uh, reduce their chances of getting the job at the at the end of the day so so yeah completely for me it's a bit of a good filter because actually it it's not just about the employer choosing you you know as candidates we choose the employer yes and if we mention our disability early on and we don't get a favorable reaction that's a pretty good indication this isn't an organization i want to work for yeah. um so in a sense it's almost a way of us filtering out those organizations that don't deserve our talent yeah that's true and actually something you said there um is is quite right um in in the whole workforce as well in terms of people these days are choosing their employer much more than than they used to because there are some sectors that are short of of workers and has is that affected things from your perspective um for, for disabled people yeah i think it, a lot of things have changed the world of work i think recently i mean we had the pandemic of course um which disproportionately affected disabled people i mean 60 percent of the people who died of covid are disabled people uh, we don't hear that figure very much we hear about other demographic groups um but also disabled people were much more likely to be furloughed or to lose their jobs during covid but the other thing that happened you know that was less negative was that working differently became much more mainstream. So people working Mm. from home, you know, we all had to, um, became much more mainstream rather than it being um, seen as a reasonable adjustment for a disabled person. And the assumption being that person was skiving and watching daytime telly all day. Mm. I mean, who'd want to do that? I know, chance would be nice, but actually, yeah, who would? (laughs) My understanding, not much worth watching. (laughs) But also we've learned that actually people who work from home are 
probably more productive than people in the office because you don't have the yeah. same interruptions and also you don't have that that natural break in between work and home the commute so mm. often people who work from home will work longer hours which isn't a good thing you know the problem isn't home workers not working enough it's actually making sure that people take breaks you know mm. drink enough to, to be hydrated do take proper lunch breaks do get up and walk around and all the rest of yeah. it and um, and I think that's changed attitudes towards the way we work generally not just about disabled people but that there are other ways to work you don't have to work full-time 40 hours a week Monday to Friday nine to five in the office there are other opportunities now and actually a lot of people are taking advantage of those and not just disabled people yeah and that's that's um that must be very positive and I think I'm, I'm guessing employers are, are kind of more receptive now to to other ways of working for for members of their team um as you say whether they're disabled or not well I think some are and um, some not so much I think what we'll okay. find is that those employers who are oh good we can get back to normal now um, will be yeah. the ones who get left behind because yeah. I think talent now, as you say, skill shortages alongside all of the rest of what we've just talked about mean that candidates can be choosy and they can choose which organisations they want to work for. And to be honest, an organisation that says the only way you can work here is Monday to Friday, nine to five in the office, mm. it's not going to attract the best talent because the best talent might not want to work that way anymore. They might want hybrid working or they might want flexible working or they might want to work at different hours or you know, the, that there are other, and now people know that there are other options. We can't put that genie back in the box, I'm glad to say. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, and, and even just things like if people are commuting into the office, maybe allowing different times, because I, I know um, if you are in in a wheelchair or you've got mobility issues, trying to commute at peak time must just be horrendous. And so, so for anybody, those, I think, well, well, yes, yeah, long gone. Fortunately, are my days of commuting in and around London. <laughs> But um, but yeah, um, so so th those sorts of adjustments, which are fairly simple things that that employers can can do, are much more acceptable, I think, for people these days, aren't and they? And it's really frustrating because disabled people have been saying this for decades, and it took a global pandemic before anybody listened. I can only imagine. Um, it must be so frustrating for for people. Um, and and you know it. it, it it, the, your physical attributes are just one part of you and they're, they're absolutely not relevant for most jobs out there so, so no, absolutely. and disabled people like anybody else don't apply for jobs they can't do no, that's a very and good people point. will say oh we can't have a blind forklift truck driver <laughs> blind people won't apply for a job as a forklift truck driver <laughs> yes is it this being solicitors or accountants this sounds like this is a sort of um barriers you come up against sometimes when, when you're talking yes. to employers they, they kind of go oh no i can't have that and you you're like well you wouldn't anyway <laughs> yeah, it, well exactly exactly people self-select and also I think there's a lot of assumptions that employers make about what people can and can't do mm. so um you know oh if you're blind you couldn't possibly use a computer yeah. you know well, we've got assistive technology these days yeah. people can use computers um you know who would have said six months ago someone who's completely deaf can when Strictly Come Dancing, you know, she hasn't won yet, but she might. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, it, we learn all the time about things that people can do. They might do them in different ways to the ways the rest of us do them, but it doesn't mean they're not as good. And in some cases, you know, even better. Yeah. Yeah. That That's such a, such a good point. And what... 
are there kind of general barriers? I don't even want to use the word barriers because it comes up, it conjures up physical things. And we know that that, that, that we're not just talking about kind of um, obvious um, physical disabilities. But what, what are the, the, the barriers and obstacles that people come up against then when, when they're looking for, for jobs? Yeah, I mean, apart from that big one about which organisations can we trust, yeah. I think the biggest one is the perception of employers about disabled people. There's a kind of narrative mm. about, um, oh poor people we really ought to give them a chance and actually what we say is disabled candidates are premium candidates yeah um you know because we bring the same breadth and diversity of talents and qualities and qualifications and knowledge and skills as everybody else mm. but also we have had to face barriers yeah every day of our lives and so we develop other skills. So resilience, determination, creative thinking, problem solving, all the kinds of things that employers would really welcome. Mm. So what we're trying to say to employers to try and remove that barrier is actually, if you're going to be hiring disabled people, do it because you need the talent. Don't, you know, don't feel sorry for us. Yeah. Yeah. Do it because you need, you need our talent. So I think, you know, the, one of the biggest barriers is that kind of negative connotation around disabled people and we have um at even break we have a career hive which is a career support service mm. specifically for disabled people and and we talk about you know disabled candidates being premium candidates and one of the things that we say is actually it's not enough just for you to know that you have to make sure that your prospective employer knows that too yeah so instead of going into um, an interview or a meeting with a prospective employer with the view of, oh, please give me a chance because nobody else will. You know, it's going in with the with the mindset that says, you'd be really lucky to have me because I yeah. bring so much extra over and above what your other candidates are bringing with them. And so I think that, you know, that perception about disability is, um, is huge. But I think other barriers, as you say, and they are barriers, but they're not necessarily physical. You know, the recruitment process itself can be very um okay. inaccessible yeah so it might be the job book the job board the career site isn't accessible or it's an online application but it's timed mm. and if you're dyslexic or you have a learning disability or a visual impairment it's going to take you longer but that's not taken into yeah. consideration or um you know they're, they're looking for experience well it's a bit like your equity card if people won't give you that opportunity to get that experience yeah. how do you get the experience to get the job in the first place yeah. So yeah. I think a lot of um, recruitment processes themselves have sort of barriers inbuilt deliberately, but nevertheless, you know, they can be there. And I think as disabled candidates, we need to be strong in asking for what we need. Yeah. So um, maybe challenging sometimes the recruitment process, asking for adjustments. Yeah. We don't yeah. use CVs or interviews at all at even break, for example. So um, because we think they're both not good predictors of future performance. But I think, you know, if you come across um, an employer who is using very traditional and maybe inaccessible processes, then, you know, asking for what you need is really important. Mm -hmm. And again, if they don't give you what you need and in the way that you would like it to be given, would you want to work for them anyway? Yes. And it that whole thing of going in and 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 having your kind of outlook being, well, they'll, they'll be lucky to have me. I, I absolutely love that because it just changes your mindset in that in that interview or conversation um, uh, situation. And, and it does kind of change your internal na narrative, I, I think. Um, the other thing that just struck me was... Um, 
that 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 some employers can be oh oh well we you know poor poor them let's let's kind of give, give them a chance and that's so patronizing isn't it and and I just I, I, I well, found... just like you you or I wouldn't want to be given a job because oh well we need more women <laughs> yeah exactly you know, we want the job because you think we can do the job it's yeah. nothing to do with our gender or our skin color or yeah exactly you know, disabilities have nothing to do with our ability to do the job you know take me on because you think I can help your organization otherwise don't bother you know I, exactly that we want to deal with the best candidate and that's why we've been taken on nobody wants to be a pity hire no no exactly so so anyone listening that's an employer please just stop with the with the pity because because it's just so backwards um it's it's unreal I, f- I felt quite quite angry um when when you said that um and and the other thing I want to to sort of talk through a little bit is as you say the the whole recruitment process and you said your organisation doesn't do CVs. And I just love that because just last week in my weekly newsletter, I put that the, we need to abolish CVs. We're in good company about doing, doing away with CVs. Oh, really early days, though, in this journey, because if I say to recruiters, you know, CVs really aren't the best predictors of future performance. Yeah. Kind of like I've killed a sacred cow. It's kind of... <laughs> Hands up and hold, but we've always done it that way. Yeah, but you've always got non-diverse candidates, and that might be one of the reasons why. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, it's just, and then people say, "Oh, well, it's all right because we use blind CVs." Well, that just means that you can't see the name or the address or the date of birth or whatever it might be, but you can still see the career history, and mm. often the career history of someone who has routinely been discriminated against is never going to look as impressive as someone who hasn't routinely oh. been discriminated against. So my view is that what a CV shows is previous privilege, not future potential. So you might have someone who's, you know, drifted through the best schools, the best universities, private tutors, you know, fathers have friends in the city. So we get Mm. amazing internships. Their CVs are going to look brilliant. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a better candidate than someone who's really struggled through, through an inner city school, gone to a comprehensive gone to if they've gone to university at all gone to perhaps a, a former polytechnic and come out with a, mm. a 2-1 or a 2-2 instead of a first but they may be the better candidate because they may have had to try so much harder to navigate around barriers they may be the first person in their family to go to university they might have yeah. been battling with mental health issues or yeah. dyslexia or, or whatever it might be and actually that's the candidate you want because they're going to stick at things and they're going to find ways to do things and they're going to be determined, but their CVs won't reflect that. Yeah. So how how do do you go about um, the recruitment process with your organisation? And I mean, I'm guessing it's kind of skills based, um, but but you you tell me. Yeah, it's values and skills, mm. strengths based. I think I would describe it. Yes. So yeah. We look at a particular role, whatever the role is that we're trying to fill. And we would decide what are the top absolute must-haves for this role? What must this person be able to do in order to do this role well? Mm. And that might be three, four, maybe five things. And we'd have to justify it. You know, why would they really have to be able to do that? And if you'd want a qualification, very few jobs actually. I mean, if I'm going to have a someone operating on my brain, I'd like them to have a medical degree. You know, but generally <laughs> yes, speaking, <ideally. laughs> we don't always need degrees. So we need to justify what we're asking for. And there might be, Mm. let's say there's four. And then we would ask questions on those four strengths. Um, And the answer can come in written form. It can be dictated over the phone. It can be a video. Don't really care what format it comes in. And then the only thing we are testing 
that shortlisting process on is who's the best person for this job? Shouldn't that be what we're using anyway to test the best person for the job? So we don't know anything about work history unless it's relevant. You know, if it is, if you can say we actually do need someone who's done this before. okay, that's one of the things, but it might not be. It might be transferable skills. It might be actually they don't need to have done this particular role before, but they do need to be really good at detail or really good with people or really good at creative thinking or whatever it Mm. might be. And then ask questions about those. And then instead of interviews, which only really assess how good somebody's at blagging interview, and lots of people aren't, <laughs> we would yeah. give them um, a task that they would be expected to perform in their role. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it might be uh, if it's a social media manager, it might be okay. So we've produced this video. How would you share this on social media? Which platforms would you use? How would you measure the response? How would you know? You know that kind of thing. Yeah. or if it was in our case a career coach it would be so you have a candidate um you know a, a dummy candidate with these challenges um how would you go about that so it's kind of um giving someone a, a task that they would need to perform mm-hmm. within their role and then hey we're just assessing them on how good they are at the job yeah yeah and that that sounds really refreshing and i and when you're working with um employers i guess you're I was going to say forcing them uh, but to reevaluate what they want and uh, and you know well actually they should be forced to reevaluate what they want shouldn't they <laughs> Thankfully um and increasingly they are saying to us can you look at our recruitment process mm. and tell us what the barriers are and how we can remove them right. and sometimes you get that well for the start don't bother with CVs and interviews that's a step too far because it's so different from what they've ever yeah. done so sometimes it might be tweaking things. It might be saying, okay, maybe you want to chat with the person, but alongside that, do a work-based test or a trial or, you know, offer alternatives. Or um, instead of having to have a CV, why don't you have an application form and then offer it in different formats for people? So there are, you know, there are things that people can do that can tweak what they're already doing and make it more accessible and inclusive. Or they can do a complete, oh, okay, yeah, we need to do this, you know, start from scratch again. And and neither of those is fine, really, because it's always, you know, it's improving. It's when they say, we've already done, we've always done it this way and we're not going to change, is is when you say, well, you're not going to get different candidates then because... Yeah. That's how we're in this mess in the first place. I guess in those situations, you must have to say, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't work with you then. Yeah, I mean, if we know that they are going to be unfair with candidates, we would have to tell them. And yeah. and if we get candidates come to us and say, look, you know, I applied for that job on your board, but I don't feel I was treated very well. We will feed that back, not in a um, an accusatory way, mm. but in a, you know, you need to be aware that this is happening because yeah. it's blocking you from accessing the talent that you could be accessing and it may be that that manager needs training or or you know the process isn't working properly but without that feedback you know things don't change yes that's true and they they would never know so I think I think that's that's invaluable so that they can then kind of move forward and someone else can have a different experience Mm -hmm. um so tell us um, tell us a couple of success stories. Can I start off by asking you for a success story from the employer's perspective, seeing as we're talking about that, and also one from the candidate's perspective? I mean, you, you must have many. oodles of examples. Oh, I know, I know. There, there must be a couple that stand out. Yeah, I can think from the employer's perspective, I can remember one not long ago. Actually, most of our 
clients are large corporates, but this was a small okay. social, smallish social enterprise. Mm. And they had two roles to fill. And they hadn't heard of Even Break. And they'd advertised on mainstream media. And I think they had 80 applicants for these two okay. jobs. Yeah. And yeah. she said, we went through them and not one of them was suitable. They just weren't meeting anything like the criteria that, that we needed. And um, so they heard about Even Break and they advertised on Even Break, same advert, but on Even Break. And they had only four applicants, but she said we could have offered this job to any of those four applicants Wow! because they were just so, so talented. And in fact, I think they did create another role so that they could actually keep keep them. We've done that before. We've advertised for one role and we've ended up taking two of the candidates on because they were so good we couldn't choose between them. Um, (laughs) And she said, you know, in mainstream advertising, we got 80 pretty mediocre, unsuitable candidates. Yeah. On your platform, you only got four candidates, but they were all brilliant. And actually, any recruiter would rather have fewer candidates who are more suitable than loads of candidates who aren't. So that's that's one I can remember. And then um, then I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of so many. Um, uh, Yeah, a candidate who went for a job with, um, I can name them because it's a a success story, Mace, which is a uh, huge um, construction company. Yes, and um, yes. and Jen, who's the the uh, candidate, we've done some case studies actually together. Um, she'd had some pretty poor ex- disabled candidates. She'd had some pretty poor experiences with previous employers, hmm. and um, she found this this job on Even Break for Mace, and she decided she'd go for it because why wouldn't she? But she said on this occasion she had the courage right from the beginning to say. She had an invisible, she has a couple of invisible disabilities, mm. but to be open about it right from the start, because her perception correctly was that it wouldn't put them off. So she was able to say right at the beginning, oh, by the way, and that it was fine. And um, she got the job and, uh, and we, we talked about the adjustments that she got when she got, got the job. And mm. uh, she said um, in a previous, this is a story she's told on online, in a previous um employer she'd said oh I I need a a, a height adjustable desk Mm, mm. and they gave her a cardboard box (gasps) you're kidding wow a laptop on so she could take oh my goodness outrageous that was their reasonable adjustment when she started at Mays she said you know really I could do with a height adjustable desk Mm. and said that's fine we've got loads in the office brilliant and it was no bother it was no problem she didn't feel like she was being difficult yeah she felt valued you know, and, and it, it's life changing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, she was saying yeah. the difference when she goes home from work now, you know, she feels she's done a good job. She feels valued. She's got promotion prospects ahead of her. Whereas before, you know, she said, I used to leave the office in tears yeah. sometimes because I felt so, you know, having to fight every day for what I needed. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, there are so many other people like Jen and, and all of her previous bad experiences were nothing to do with her or her skills. No. at all because she's able to use those skills at mace she wasn't really able to use them at other places yeah. so yeah it, it is life-changing for people yeah it's it sounds really liberating because um because at last she's able to just get on with her work with yeah. without without kind of even really thinking about it yeah. anymore i guess Absolutely. um you know it's it's just normal yeah. yeah and that's how it should be isn't it and i mean you know in an office that she works in if somebody has a different need, that will be looked at as well. So it might be the need of ESL interpreter, or it might be they need a different piece of tech because the monitor needs to be bigger or, you know, whatever it is. It's just there. It's, yeah. you know, it's just part of the way the way business is. And 
And that's how every business should be. And, and that would mean that every business then would be able to access all the talent that's not being accessed at the moment, which is such a waste. Yeah, because, I mean, that must be quite a large percentage of the population um, that, that are currently not ruled out of the talent pool for some businesses who, who are not being inclusive. Um, and there's a huge disability employment gap. So, you know, yeah. you're twice as likely to be unemployed if you're disabled. Um, you know, I think it's something like 80% of non-disabled people are in work, only 50% of disabled people are in work. You know, that's wow. that's a lot of disabled people who want to work and aren't getting the opportunity, you know, and all the candidates that we work with at Evenbreak, it's, you know, they are so talented, so motivated. Yeah, and they... they... They they just um just people who <laughs> who want to work and it's bananas that 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 kind of they they're prevented from doing so sometimes um through no Especially for such silly reasons yeah. for reasons that have nothing to do with their talent or yeah you know and if people need adjustments it's usually really easy to you know to provide those access to work will pay for it but you know often it might be if someone has sight impairment just make sure that nobody leaves clutter in the walkway so they don't trip up yeah. over it which you should be doing anyway from health yeah. point of view. Yeah, it's not I, difficult. Or as you say, you know, flexible working. Yeah. Maybe I can come in an hour late and, and go home an hour later and miss the, yeah. you know, the, the rush hour commute or whatever it might be, or work from home a couple of days a week. I mean, none of these things are difficult or expensive. No, no, I I, I do think that 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 um that there is that perception of, of cost from from the employer's perspective, which I really hope is is starting to to kind of be eradicated a bit a bit now. I'd hope I mean there is access to work, so there's really no excuse. And, and as I say, most most That's people true. don't need adjustments that cost money. Usually it is just a different way of working mm. or flexible working or I mean we only employ disabled people. We all work from home. Um, you know, some some have we well, all have access needs. Um, but we've used access mm. to work. So if someone needs a different monitor or if they need some coaching or they need taxis, you know, whatever it might be, access to work pays for it. So, it, it you know, there isn't yeah. a cost attached. There's an awful cost yeah. attached to not employing disabled people. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and just finally, one other thing um, you mentioned that I'd like to touch on is the disability employment gap. Now, I don't know if if there are plans for, for companies to, to be mandated in, in measuring the, this gap. Um, you're, you're probably closer to the government and, and the issues around this. Do you, do you know if that's likely to happen anytime? Because we, we measure other things don't we yeah it's it's something we're uh campaigning for mm. so we had a couple of years ago there was the mandatory um gender yes. pay gap reporting yeah. so every organization over i think 250 people had to measure their gender pay gap um at the moment there's a very very strong campaign for doing the thing the same thing around ethnic mm. diversity if there's a race pay gap um with disability for me it's about pay gap and we know there's about a 19 percent pay gap on average between disabled and non-disabled people but it's also about where are those disabled people so you know you, you might you might get an organization that says oh we're doing really well 20 percent of our workforce is disabled that's great where are they oh they're in the warehouse over there unpacking boxes what about your managers what about your leaders what about so, you know, it's not just about what people are paid, it's about opportunities, it's about where they are within the organisation. Um, you know, can people look up and see role models like themselves in the organisation? So, um, no, there isn't much going on in that, in that at the moment, but there's a lot of campaigning going on that actually 
you know, disability, it's not more important than race and gender, but it's every bit as important. Yeah, yeah. And I would have thought that, that anything that gets more people out into the workplace, um, it, it, it's got to be beneficial for, for everyone at the moment, you know, because we're trying yeah, to absolutely. trying to get beyond this pandemic. And I hope one day I can have a conversation without mentioning the pandemic. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we need people in, in work, don't we? Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I mean, DWP talk about work is good for people. I would, I would not agree with that. I would say the right work is good for people. I think, yeah. you know, for people pushed into jobs that aren't the right jobs for them, that can be very detrimental to physical and mental health. Yeah. But I think for people who are able to use their skills in an environment where they're supported and feel valued, that's got to be better than than not working because you feel, you know, our candidates talk about, you know, I've got a sense of purpose now or you know, they enjoy the company. Some some of our candidates don't want to work from home. They want to go in the office because they enjoy the company of other people. Um, or just feeling that you have a value or that you've got something, you know, a reason to get up in the morning. Same as non-disabled people, really. You know, most people actually want to work because it's part of life and you just feel as though you're doing something worthwhile. Yeah. And um, so many people are denied that opportunity because people can't see beyond the wheelchair or yeah. the cane or yeah. the mental health issue or whatever it might be yeah there's there's kind of no no logic to it really um so so yeah well listen i've really really enjoyed talking to you today it's a real eye-opener and if there's anything that that we can do here to to help get message out and support any any of your campaigns i would absolutely love to 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 do anything because i just think I, well, as I've said a few times, I just think it's bananas. <laughs> There's talent out there. We we should we should be harnessing it. So so yeah, a massive thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to All About Self Employment, hosted by Julia Kermode. For more information on today's discussion, please visit iwork.co.uk, where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.